Good morning. Thank you for that reading, Neville. Now, Josh, you, you forgot to mention something really important about the pre-breakfast. There's bacon. See, I've already increased the participation rate by 50%. I'd encourage you to come along. They're always a good, uh, the good, uh, a good event. Now, I um, am doing Chapter 5 this week and next week. Hopefully you'll come next week again. But it's interesting, Chapter 5. You see, I don't know if you know much about Paul's writings, but his style that he writes, the way he expresses certain things, and you get a bit of this in Romans, it can be very confusing. It can confuse even a, a seasoned believer, especially if you're not properly taught God's word. If you've only been given a small portion of what Paul writes, it's really hard to make heads or tails of it. And sometimes, even if you're an apostle, it's hard to understand. Have a listen to what Peter has to say. This is in Peter, the apostle Peter. Uh, chapter 3 is Second Peter. This is what he says. He says, um, verse 15, here it is. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God had given him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Uh, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So the Apostle Peter clearly admits that even he struggles sometimes understanding not what Paul talks about, but really rather the style that he, he writes it in. But it's interesting what Peter said though, isn't it? Because even though if it's hard, to understand. It's important to understand. It's vital that we understand what is written in the scriptures. And, and it's interesting that Peter says the reason that people don't understand is because they're ignorant. Not stupid, but ignorant. Now, ignorant means that you're lacking in knowledge or training, or it means you're uninformed. Now, I'm very ignorant about, you know, laptops, aren't I, uh, Andrew? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not good with technology <laughs> because I haven't been trained. doesn't mean I'm stupid. But it's interesting what Peter says. He says, those that are ignorant and unstable, these are the people that distort, distort what Paul has written and other scriptures to their own destruction. And that's happening today, isn't it? There are people around who are, who are ignorant of what the scriptures actually say, that are ignorant of God's will and God's purposes and God's plans, ignorant of his promises, and yet they have, they have opinions. And, and they try and, and, and tell you what they think the scriptures mean. And what's the end result of that? Well, the end result, Peter makes it really clear. 
their own destruction. Unfortunately, I've noticed, and I'm getting old, I've noticed too that sometimes this teaching, these things that these people do, also causes grief to others, to other people, and sometimes to their destruction as well. So it's important, it's important that this is remedied. We can't go on being ignorant. We can't go on being uninformed, unaware of what God is saying. We can't do that. Now, it's important because of the outlook that we have. And and what Paul wanted us to know is very important in chapter 5. That's why that little phrase up there, is written like that. It's it's the first verse in, in chapter 5. He says, now we know. Now we know. Do we? That's the question this morning. Do we know what's written in chapter 5? Here's an interesting... Uh, okay, it's still not working. This never works for me. Okay, okay. all right. Here's an interesting quote that came. Actually, if you look look at the date, I can't actually see it. I think it's in August sometimes, sometime in August this year. And it's it's from the Queen. Um, She's been in the news a lot lately. And I was just sharing this morning, my wife is Irish, a royalist, don't get me wrong, I'm not a Republican. I like, I like the Royals, but my wife, extreme. So, you know, we've been watching, we missed the game last night, Josh. <laughs> we had to watch everything, we've been watching everything. But it's really, really interesting, all the things that you learn about Queen Elizabeth that she does and did and, and her life, you know. But you know, her, her spiritual life is hardly mentioned. Hardly mentioned. And they all talk about what a great queen she's been, her longevity and how well she's ruled and the dedication and the devotion and how she put her subjects first. Have a look at what it says. This is her quote. He says, throughout my life, 96 years. Yeah, that's a lot of cannon shells, wasn't there? Anyway, 96 years, the message and the teachings of Christ have been my God, and in them I find hope. I saw this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to use this for my message. I had no idea she was going to pass away. You know, what what was happening in all the things, a lot of people were singing, God save the Queen. And I, and I reflected on, on these things, and this quote that I had um, prepared for today, and I thought, she was there for an awful long time. And without question, most, most of the people testify she was a great queen, an important person. There were people from all over the world noting how, how important she was, how she conducted herself. And what was guiding her? What was guiding her? Not my opinion, her quote. It's the scriptures. That's how important they are. And it's important that we know, even though it's a little bit difficult what Paul has to say this morning, we need to know 
what's here. Over the next two weeks, I hope, I hope to present to you in chapter, in chapter five, seven key, seven key issues that Paul mentions throughout the chapter, which are absolutely, next, next slide please, are absolutely critical, critical to the Christian life, your life and my life. They were critical in Paul's day, they're critical today, and they're, and they're going to be critical right up until the Lord comes. And it's critical because they affect the way we live here on the earth and also in heaven. And I was hoping to get the other... And those are the seven things that, are, that, that, well, that is mentioned in chapter 5. There's transformation. There's a thing called a guarantee. Living by faith. How often have you heard that? What does it mean? Do you know what it means? What about... Living to please him. Did you, did you pick up that little phrase in, in the reading? How do you do that? The beamer's seat, the ministry of reconciliation, and it mentions about being ambassadors. We're going to be teasing out all these things over the next couple of weeks. So can I have the next slide, please, Andrew? So we're going to start off, verse 1, chapter 5. But before we do that, these thoughts can continue on from, from what was said last week, what was read last week. And, and I'd just like to bring to your attention chapter 4, verse 18. It says, So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, right? Temporary. So what we can see, even today, it's temporary. Even the long reign of Queen Elizabeth II, as long as it, the longest reigning monarch ever, it's over. It was temporary. Temporary can be a long time, but it's still temporary. Because in verse 18 there it says, the unseen things are eternal, never ending. And so Paul continues this thought into chapter 5. Now, it's interesting that Andy gave an analogy about building. You know, analogies are great. The analogies are things that, that you use to compare similar characteristics of different things to illustrate things. Now, I was sharing with Josh the other day that I tend to use football a lot, you know, in my analogies when I preach, and, and my father-in-law didn't like that. That's Okay. The Lord used the farming analogies and building analogies and fishing analogies. So I'm in good company. And you've heard me many times here. I'm one of those tradies that he was talking about. I've told you many times and, and given you analogies and little stories about building. So it's a good way. It is a good way to illustrate important truths and and critical sometimes to illustrate hard to understand things and Paul here is doing exactly the same thing you see Paul was a tent maker that was his trade he was a tradie as well made tents and you know as, as Paul was trying to think about what can, what what can I illustrate this temporary uh, situation this temporary it was staring him in the face wasn't it there's nothing more temporary than a tent. 
nothing more temporary. And, and he so uses the analogy that he knows best, his tent making. He thought, I know about tents, I make them, I know what, how they're used, I know that people understand what I'm talking about, and so he goes off in his analogy. And the, and the, and the tent that he's referring to, he's referring to our earthly bodies. He's equating the tent to the earthly body, a temporary dwelling. Now, you know, we tend to think that this is, this is it, isn't it? Our life, our bodies, this is it. You only live once, they say. That's not true, by the way. You don't live once. So tents are temporary. You know, it's, it's a great analogy because I was thinking about that. You can't live in a tent all of your life. You just can't. I, I, I've gone on tenting holidays and I'm really glad to get home. Huh? You know, it's cramped. Tents, tents, tents seem to, to, to sag and, and, and they leak and there's never enough room. And when the sun's out, Rachel, it's stinking hot. And at night when it's cool, it's freezing. Imagine living, imagine living in your, in a tent for 60, 70 years. It's not meant to be like that. They're designed to be temporary. As I said, tents sag, they're not durable, they leak, they, they tear, they fall down. And Paul is saying our bodies are temporary. They're temporary. We age, we break down, and we sag. I sag. Yeah. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. So Paul's, Paul's given us a great analogy there. And, and then he says about the tent being taken down. And that's referring to death, you know. When the, when the, when the, when the body's finished, you're destroyed or, or taken down. So, so that's, that's what he's referring to here. And he says in verse one, we know this. We know, we should know this. And we should live with this knowledge. That what we have here, this body, is temporary. Now, how do we know? How should we, how should at least, how should we at least know that this is, this is the case? Well, as a believer, it's, it's in the Word of God, isn't it? And Paul, and Paul has given these people seven key elements of the Christian life in one chapter. And he doesn't elaborate it, you know, with lots and lots of information. Why? Because he's already told them most of this stuff. And not only that, a lot of these things he's, he's, you know, he's expecting a, a Christian to understand because it is basic. It's foundational. Isn't it? Because this is what, this is what Paul's probably thinking. He says, you know, I'm sure you already know that in John chapter 14, my fellow apostle told you this. He says, he says there to, to the Christian, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. This is not your home. The Lord himself said that to us. And yet we live, you and I live like this is it. This is it. This is my house. This is where, this is all of it there is. 
And then he says here that this house that we have, this eternal dwelling, this permanent dwelling that we, we should be fo- focusing on, not the tent, but the building, which is a permanent thing, or more permanent anyway. He says it wasn't even built by hands, by human hands. And the Lord told us that as well. He's, where is he going? He's going to his father's house. His father's house. And he says, we know these things. We should know these things. And yet what are we occupied with? The temporary, not the eternal. In verses 3 and 4, it's, he talks about there. He, he, you, know, you could actually put the before verse 3 there, you could actually put in brackets, we also know this. Because this, this is the expectation. This is the expert that we know that life is tough. And while we're here in this tent, we groan and we moan and we complain. It's life is hard, isn't it? I was reflecting on, on, on what I saw last night about the Queen. You know, she had some very bad years. She had to endure some uh, terrible things. And just recently, the passing of her, of, her, of her husband, who she loved very much. Tough times. Life is hard. It's especially hard because we live in a tent. It's hard. Life is hard. But Paul's saying, don't dwell on that. Dwell on that first key issue, the transformation. And he talks about, he talks about at the heavenly dwelling and being clothed. Here's another analogy. Putting on, putting on eternal things. The heavenly bodies are clothed. You see, that's one of the misconceptions. You know, there are people who think that when we die, we go somewhere. And some people think they're going to go to heaven and, and meet up with all their friends, which is nice to think that, but not, maybe not necessarily so. There are others that are looking forward to going to hell so they can go and have you know barbecues and drinking sessions with their mates. A bit hot, don't you reckon? I don't think that's going to happen either. Then there are others who think that somehow we're going to be just floating around, sitting on clouds, playing harps, maybe having wings. It's going to be very white up there, you know? Sometimes we dwell on the things that we're not told about and we don't focus on what God has told us. We're not going to be, we're not going to be going around disembodied. We're not going to be floating around. We will have a body. We will be clothed with a new body, a different one that we've got now, suited to the new environment that we'll be in. And, you know, you say, where where did you get all this stuff from? You see, we did mention, didn't we, at the start of uh, our teaching session on Corinthians that, well, there is a first Corinthian letter, we know that, and we've got a second one as well, which we're looking at now, but there was some, maybe even two in between this that we didn't have. We don't have. We don't know what it says. So Paul has not only just written letters to the Corinthians, he's actually spent quite a bit of time at Corinth teaching them. 
And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 to 55, there he's reminding them of what he taught them. What did he do? He showed them a mystery of what happens to the believer when they die. And they're raised again. They're given a new body, which is incorruptible, suited to live forever, Graham, in heaven. Amen. Eh? And if he was to come now, well, we're not dead, it says there that we will be given a, a, a body that is imperishable. You know, it, it just doesn't die. So there'll be a group of believers, hopefully it'll be me and you, they'll never have to taste death. And there was another quote that Queen Elizabeth said exactly, exactly the same thing. She was hoping that the Lord would come in her lifetime. Why? So she could give him or lay her crown at his feet. That's what she believed. Great woman. He also talked about this in First Thessalonians. Talked about the sort of body that we'll have. A body suited to a new environment. A permanent environment. A never-ending environment. And Paul's saying, you know all this. You know all this. Death will be swallowed up, he says, and the and, and what is mortal will be swallowed up, and God has made us for this very purpose, verse five. Do you know God created man for what purpose? So that he could get a job, work for forty forty five, fifty, sixty years, then get a pension, maybe do a bit of caravaningly. You know, is that why God, God created us? Absolutely not. Caravanning's better than tenting though, isn't it, Glee? Amen. My wife thinks B&B breakfast, uh, B&Bs are better than tenting and caravanning. So we, no caravanning for us. Anyway. It says there that the purpose, the very purpose is so that we can dwell with God in heaven. That's, that was in, what was on God's mind and in his heart when he created mankind in the Garden of Eden. So that he would have fellowship with man, with mankind. In a lovely environment. Now I know maybe some people don't like gardening, but it doesn't matter. It was a beautiful garden. There was no weeds for a start. And, or pests. And this is the, the desire that God would come and, and dwell and have fellowship and commune with mankind. That was, that's the reason that man was created. Have a look at the start of the Bible. So the purpose for mankind was for him to dwell with God in a never-ending perfect environment. It sounds like heaven, doesn't it, Cynthia? Amen. Now, Raph, you know, this, this sounds really good, but it's a bit pie in the sky, isn't it? How can you be sure? How can you be sure this is going to happen? Paul says, and we know this is going to happen. We know because we have a guarantee. 
a deposit has been paid. Now, I know all about that. Let me tell you a very quick little story, very quickly. About three months ago, we decided to get a new car, Mazda CX-5. We all we knew what colour, we knew the model, and we knew we knew make, and we went up to uh, the Mazda dealership in South Moray, and I'm, I, and I've been listening to the to the you know the talkback shows about how long it's going to take to get a car, so I had no no thoughts about getting it next week or next month. Actually, I was, I, was thinking, I said the point probably six months. It's probably six months. You know, we go there, and it was really quickly because we knew what we wanted. And he says, oh, we, 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 we've got one, just the, the model that you want and the colour that you want. We can get it, we can have it in a couple of months. I said, yeah, no worries. He says, well, would you like to pay a deposit now? I said, absolutely. So we paid our deposit. And we were told it was going to come at the end of July. And if you've been out in the car park, you notice we're still driving the silver Mazda that we've had in the last five years, right? Anyway, so, so, anyway, we get Pauline, because it's in Pauline's name, the car, Pauline gets a phone call from the, from the sales rep, and he says, oh, there's a bit of a problem with your car. It's still stuck in Japan, you know, the little computer chip things, you know, you, you know you've heard all about the story. You know, there's a bit of a delay. And Pauline says, oh, okay. She says, we're hoping to have it for you in August. Again, you know, the car, silver, and the car park didn't arrive. So it's getting a bit close. So we're going on holidays in a couple of weeks to, Adla- to South Australia. I'm thinking, this is not good. So I give the sales bloke a ring about two weeks ago and I said, look, you know, what's the story with... Oh, well, he says, uh, look, let me, give me a minute. So he goes away and he's... I don't know, he's probably pretending, but I don't know. <laughs> he, he was doing something on his computer and he says, okay, it's coming on the 27th of September. He actually gave me a date. I said, oh, yeah, we'll have it here. I said, oh, that's, that's not good. I said, we're going away in a couple of days. And he says, oh, yeah, it could be a day or so. He's already back at office. It could be a day or so either way. And, and he says, look, we, he says, we, 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 we can hold it for you until you get back. Because he asked me how long we'd be away. Get back. And I'm thinking, shortage of cars. And I know, I know what sales reps are like. Especially, I'm glad Matt's not here. Especially used car sales reps. Anyway, I said to him, look, there's no chance of you selling that car on me while we're away, hoping that you'd get another one exactly the same before we get back. And this is what he said. He says, no way. No way. He says, you've paid a deposit. You've paid. That's your car. He says, and we're going to keep it for you until you get back. That's what a deposit's all about. Intr- funny story, but, but again, an analogy, right? It illustrates to you that the deposit guarantees me that car that they told me about in July. That's my car. Well, Pauline's. It, it's the car, and we're going to get it. Haven't got it yet, but we're going to get it. It's guaranteed because of the positive. This is what Paul is saying. This is what's happened. And what's the guarantee? Now, we go cash. The guarantee that God gives us is the Holy Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul's only talking to the believers here. 
I hope, I pray that I'm just talking to believers here as well, which means that all of us have the Holy Spirit indwelling. All of us. In John chapter 14, this is why we know. John, John chapter 14, in verse 15, the Lord himself said that the Father will send the Spirit. And if you go and, I encourage you to go and have a look at it this afternoon. He says that the Spirit will remain in us and with us, Elizabeth, forever. Forever! That's the guarantee. That's the deposit. We belong. That's what it said. We belong to him. He has marked us with, with, with this seal. And that's, and, that's, and that's the other thing I wanted to point out very quickly to you. In chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he mentions this again. He's already mentioned it once. We didn't sort of talk about it when we looked at it. But he says here in verse 22, chapter 1, it says, Now it is God who makes uh, both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us. He has set his seal of ownership on us. He has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, what a great verse. It's not just a verse. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what God has done. And, when, and that, what, what they're talking about there, the seal that it's talking about, it, it marks. It, you know, in those days, when you were traded, and you, 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 know, you, had a, you had a seal, right? And you bought whatever you bought, and you'd stamp your seal on, that, on, the, on the product, on the item, the crate, the, bat, the bale, whatever. And it, and it belonged to you and no one else. It marked ownership. So God owns us. We belong to him because he has put his seal, his spirit in us forever. That's better. That's a better deal that I'm getting from, from Master. It really is. Forever. I love it. And it's a deposit for what is to come. All the promises. I haven't got time to go into all the promises. But the promises that God has given us, he guarantees them because of his spirit that's in us. That's how we know. And one of the things about the spirit that it does, it says in scriptures that his spirit testifies, tells you that you belong to him. That's what it says. And I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes, every now and again, you have a little bit of a doubt. You think, oh, am I really saved? If I'm really saved, I should have been thinking or should have done what I did. The Spirit of God says, yep, you belong to God. You're his. And all the things, and all the things that God has promised, they are coming because of the guarantee, because of the deposit. And that's why he says in verses 6 to 8, he says, be confident. Don't doubt. Don't wonder. Don't be swayed. He says, be confident. You know, Paul, Paul was so confident in this guarantee because of what was guaranteed, but also by whom it was guaranteed. 
It was God himself. It wasn't a sales rep. God himself. Paul was so confident that he was actually busting to get to heaven. That's what this passage is indicating to us, the way he, he writes. And it's hard to understand, but that's what he said. He's just so keen to go. Not that he didn't like his life here on earth, but he was keen to get to heaven because of what he was looking forward to. Now, we don't have time to even touch about what's in heaven, but I can tell you a couple of things. First of all, right? no Jeff. How good's that for a start? There'll be no sickness. There'll be no loneliness, no separation. There'll be no grief. They're just some of the things. And Paul's just busting to get there. You know, sometimes we get taken up, taken up by, I get these silly questions from people. Will, will the streets really be made of gold, Raph? Please. Focus on what God tells you will be there, all right? And what will we be enjoying? So the third, the third item, the third issue, living by faith and not by sight. That's what that, that's referring to. He's, Paul is saying, don't let the circumstances that are happening around about you overcome you. You know, Paul's not really a super Christian. He really isn't. He's just like you and me. But the, he had confidence in God. He had confidence because of the Holy Spirit that was living in him. Same spirit as you and I have. He has confidence in the promises of God. And so he's not overcome uh, 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 by circumstances. He doesn't, it, and don't let opinions and judgments of others concern you. And it didn't really concern Paul. Paul was more concerned about people being swayed by those opinions. He wasn't worried about what people thought of him. He was worried about what God thought of him. And, and don't let opposition, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying, don't let opposition, right? Don't, be, don't see opposition as a negative. We do that, don't we? Think, oh, you know, nobody really agrees with me. They don't like the way I speak, preach. Or you. Don't see it as a negative. Because sometimes when you're in the will of God and doing God's work and speaking God's word, there's going to be opposition. So you, can, you know that you're in the right place, even though it's, there's opposition. It's not a negative. Living by the promises of God and depending on God is what Paul is saying we should be doing. Living by faith and not by sight. And, and again, we know this. Why? Because Jesus said this to Thomas. Listen to what he, Jesus said in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 29. He says, he says, it says there, then Jesus told him, that's Thomas, because you have, what? Seen me, right? That's sight. You have seen me. You have believed. Now that's, that's easy to do, isn't it? If you can actually see something, yeah, I, I believe it. But he says, blessed, blessed are those who have not seen, who have not seen and yet believe. That's a description of living by faith and not by sight. And so then, very quickly, the, the, the letter takes a big shift halfway through this, uh, this, this chapter and we get to the fourth issue. 
the fourth critical issue. And he says, this, you know, this is all the stuff that we know, right? We all know this. We should. We all know this. Well, if you don't, you know it now, all right? He says, so, so, verse 9, so, so what? So, we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to please him. Looked up the word goal. I knew you'd be disappointed if I didn't look up at least one of these words. Have a listen to what that word goal means. So we make it our ambition to please him. So we make it our duty to please him. So we make it our end goal to please him. So we make it our intention to please him. So we make it our mission to please him. So we make it our objective to please him. We make it our target to please him. That's what it means. Now, is your goal that? Is your goal to please the Lord? Or are you doing it for a whole heap of other reasons? Are you, are you living the Christian life for a whole heap of other reasons? Because there is no other reason other than pleasing. That's what Paul says. And the other major motive, and, and that, this I'll be elaborating on next week. And so just to finish off, the last major motivation, issue number five, is the Bema seat, which is the fourth slide. Could I have that last slide, the uh, second last slide? Yeah. Have a look at this. This, this is, I found this a little while ago. I thought I could use this in my, in my message. Here's a question for everyone in this room, including myself. Are we prepared to answer, and this is the Lord asking this question, what have you done with what I've given you? Because one day you will hear that question. You'll hear that question. And, and it, will be, it will be asked of you by Jesus the one who died for you, who forgave you your sin, who has been with you ever since. Have a listen to what it's... And again, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so they knew about this as well. And there's a lot that can be said about about, uh, the Bema seat, no time to do that. But there is one, two, three, five things in this sentence that Paul mentions and I'm just going to highlight them really quickly because they're vital right it says what does it tell us about this 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 judgment seat where we stand before God before the Lord sorry before the Lord it's it's it's, it's Christ's judgment seat well he says all will appear right all not just Josh because he's the pastor or the elders of the church or the preacher all everyone in this room all believers will appear no exception. And, and, and it says there that each one, each one will receive. So there's, there's, there's individual assessment. Everyone will be assessed with what the Lord has given them, how they, they've, they've done how they've gone about um, discharging their, 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 their gift or their stewardship, whatever. And then he says, and then it says, everyone, each one, will receive what is due. There's accountability. I mean, you know, a lot, I've heard people say, oh, I don't want any rewards, Rafa. It'd be just enough to be, to be going to heaven. That'd be enough. Let me tell you, the scripture tells us 
that God wants to give rewards. You know, do you know when the Lord comes back? When he comes back? Have a look at the end of Revelation. He comes back, right? With his reward to give to his people. This is what he wants to do. But it will not just be, oh, everyone gets a lolly bag. No, no. Everyone will be assessed and it will be a fair assessment. And listen to this. It says, everyone will see what is due to him for the things done when in the body. Now, while we've lived on the earth, this is why Paul's so motivated. That's why he pushes on. That's why he presses for the, for the finishing line. And then it says, it keeps going. And then it says, for the things done in the body, uh, whether good or bad. And he, and he taught the, he had taught the, uh, the believers in Corinth, in chapter, in, in, in the first Corinthians chapter three, that there will be a testing of the work that was done. And it says there that it'll be tested by fire and will be refined. And it says that some, some believers will be amazed at their, their reward and others will suffer loss. Not, not, not their salvation, but just suffer the loss of no reward or less reward than they thought. So that's what is in chapter five. That's part of it. The rest will have to, I'll have to, uh, can I have the last slide please, Andrew? The rest will be next week, right? But you can see how important it is. There's a lot there. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is, is asking us this morning, what is your goal? And I'm asking you this morning, what is your goal for this week? What is our goal? To please him. How are we going to please him? We'll look at that in greater detail next week. But just how you think about that for this morning, for, for today and for, for the coming week. What is my goal? How am I going to please the Lord? this coming week. May the Lord bless.